Welcome to Voices from the Cathedral, a podcast that brings you sermons, discussions, and other performances from the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. On Sunday, January 14th, the Sunday of Martin Luther King Day weekend, the Right Reverend Dan Daniel, Interim Dean of the Cathedral, preached on the sin of white supremacy and how we as Christians are required to step up. Today, I'm going to talk about sin. Now, sin is not a popular subject, and most sermons about sin generally put people to sleep. That may happen to you today. I hope not. In fact, I'm going to talk about sin in a different way. I'm going to talk about sin as anesthesia, and let me tell you why. It was 1964 in my hometown in North Carolina, and the newspaper announced that there was to be a civil rights march down Main Street. Well. Three friends and I decided to go. We were all of 15 years old, and yes, the driver did not have a driver's license. But anyway, we ended up on Main Street, and we watched the march process by. We weren't hostile. We were curious, but we didn't think about it nor did we judge it. We just didn't understand what the do was here. We could not figure out for the life of us what those people marching by were marching about. The world seemed fine to us. Of course it did. We were asleep to the realities faced and lived with by the people passing by in the march. And we were asleep to our own realities. That stark pageant of segregation, patriarchy, marched by without a thought on our part. We sat in the car and watched it go by asleep, asleep to the white privilege that we enjoyed and the male superiority, and the world looked mighty good to us. But morally, morally we were asleep. We were anesthetized by sin. The reality behind our stupor our sin-induced stupor on that day is that sin always puts us to sleep morally. We enter a dreamlike trance toward difficult realities that we are called to face and live with, and in that trance, we become indifferent to the issues of living in this world. We are entranced, anesthetized, 
morally asleep, however you want to put it. But in the end, it's all about sin. There was a song a long time ago called Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Does anybody remember Breaking Up is Hard to Do? It's from, yes, it's from a different generation. Anyway, but for my purposes today, I paraphrase it like this. Waking up is hard to do. And indeed it is. Our waking up is always ragged and partial and incomplete. So we trudge on, trudge on through this life, always thankful that Jesus came, not to condemn but to save us. And today we have some waking up to do as a nation. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm proud that this nation has done some great and sacrificial things for the people of this world. And our nation has done some not so great things. It will be in God's hands on Judgment Day to sort out the wheat and the tares, the good and the bad. If you hear criticism in what I'm about to say, it arises not from judgment, but from love for this nation. Someone once commented that the original sins of the American people are racism, white supremacy, and patriarchy. Sadly, I have to tell you that I've taken part in all three at one level or another. And with that in mind, I believe I can honestly say that if the words of our president this past week haven't been enough to wake us up out of our national sleep around these issues, I don't know what it will take to wake us up. But brothers and sisters, it's time to wake up. Our moral decision in this moment must be to decide on which side of history we will place ourselves. Do we side with the past or do we vote with the future? A friend of mine from seminary days tells the story in this way. It was 1965, March 7th to be precise, when Dr. King led the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. The marchers were marching for racial equality, human dignity, justice, and their constitutional right to vote. They were attacked and brutalized, as we all know, by representatives of the state. It's become known as Bloody Sunday, and it has become iconic in American history, and for good reason. A few months after the events of March 7th and the Pettus Bridge, my friend 
left seminary to go home for a summer vacation. When he arrived, he greeted the African-American woman who had served and cared for him and his family for many years. As they began to talk, she told him of watching the march across the Pettus Bridge on television. She said there were a lot of preachers in that march, white and black, and they were wearing their cler clerical collars. It made me proud. I looked for you among the marchers, but I couldn't find you. Where were you? The truth is he wasn't there. Years later, in 2003, my friend was a bishop, and we sat in the House of Bishops for the Episcopal Church together at General Convention as we faced a momentous decision. Gene Robinson, an openly gay man, had been elected Bishop of New Hampshire, but the consent of the House of Bishops had to be gained before he could be consecrated a bishop. We had to vote one by one. Our names were called, and then you voted yes or no. The tension and the division around this controversial vote was great. Just before the roll call vote began, my friend told me the story I've just told you. And he ended the story this way. He said, years ago, I voted for the past by being absent when it mattered. Today I'm present, and I'm going to vote for the future. And Gene Robinson was given consent by the House of Bishops. It was a great day for the church, and yes, for this nation. It's time for our country, it's time for our country to wake up and decide on this day whether we're going to vote with the past or whether we're going to vote by standing up for a different future. In 1956, Martin Luther King Jr. stood here in this very pulpit and called for America to make the choice of deciding to vote for the past or for the future. Judged by the words and actions of our president this past week and the response or lack of it from some of our elected leadership, I must wonder that the, the choice may be in doubt. Our president used vulgar words and gutter language to describe the people and nations of Haiti and Africa. In doing so, as our leader, he shocked and dismayed the majority of this nation's citizens and further inflamed a vicious few. He has called American trustworthiness into question globally and alienated many of our allies. He has increased diplomatic tensions with other nations and set back, in my estimation, the progress of peace. 
he has made coarse remarks about how he views and treats women and has furthered the very misogyny that is the source of so much pain already. He pursues policies along with some of the congressional leadership that in my view aggrandize the wealthy, and I count myself among that number, and victimize the poor and the elderly and the young and the weak through low wages, restricted access to health care, restricted access to ed education, and restrictions on immigration. Global warning goes on apace with his ascent. His words and actions have deepened the racial and religious divides among us. His words and actions have led me to seriously question his moral worthiness and candidly his competence to fulfill the role and duties of the office of president. As Christians and hopefully as decent and moral human beings, we are called to welcome the stranger, feed the hungry, heal the sick, care for the poor. The biblical witness and common decency charge us to seek peace, enact justice, strive for reconciliation, and promote the treatment of all people with the dignity that is their God-given due. When will we awaken as a people to say, enough? We can begin by offering our apology to the people of Haiti and Africa, offer our prayers, sympathy, and continuing support, especially to Haiti, which recalls this week the eighth anniversary of the devastating earthquake. And we can give thanks for Second Lieutenant Alex Idrachel, a Haitian immigrant who last May graduated from West Point. Martin Luther King said that the moral arc of the universe is bent toward justice. When will we as individuals and as a nation take our stand on that great moral arc and lend our weight actively to its bending? Let us hasten the day when, as Dr. King said, the people of our nation will be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin or gender or orientation or religious tradition or nation of origin. I pray that day comes quickly. And thanks be to God for Dr. King and so many others who have bravely and sacrificially led the way to this day. And now I bid and urge each of us to follow in their footsteps. This is indeed the great awakening from national sin, sinfulness and leads us onward to the, on the road to a better world. Pray God that we continue marching to Zion.
Thanks for listening to Voices from the Cathedral. The Cathedral of St. John the Divine is the Cathedral of the Episcopal Diocese of New York. It is chartered as a house of prayer for all people and a unifying center of intellectual light and leadership. People from many faiths and communities gather here to worship together, provide meals for the hungry, educate our youth, and host concerts, exhibitions, performances, and civic gatherings. You can find us online at stjohndivine.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at St. John Divine NYC. That's S-T-J-O-H-N-N-Y-C. Check back soon for another episode.